Well, our subject this evening is one that most people try to avoid most of the time. I'm pretty sure you haven't talked about this topic over dinner recently. In fact, I'm pretty sure that you make every effort to make sure you do not talk about this subject at all, except perhaps when you're forced to at a funeral. I'm talking, of course, of the topic of death. We do not like to speak about death. It's one of the last taboos of society. It's uncomfortable. It's confronting. It reminds us all too much of our failure to control our own lives, of our sheer helplessness. And so when someone dies, we, we do all that we can to avoid saying that awful word, death. We say, he's passed away. I'm sorry for your loss. He's gone to a better place. Or those strange people from the UK, uh, he's kicked the bucket. Uh, It doesn't matter what language you speak, whether it's Chinese or Tamil or Malay, it's all the same. In all those languages, when someone passes away, you'll never use the word death. In everyday life, we avoid using the number four because In Chinese, it sounds too much like the word for death. So in my apartment block, instead of having level 4, we have level 3A. In fact, we have 12A and 12B as well, because we don't like 13 as well. But we dare not utter that terrifying word in public, death. We fear death. And so we do everything we can to not talk about it. And yet every time a loved one dies, grandparent, parent, child, a friend, we're reminded again of the tragedy of death, the pain, the sorrow, the loneliness, the confusion, the loss. And we're confronted with the unchangeable reality of life that all of us will one day die that it doesn't matter how rich you are, how successful your business is, how good your connections, there is nothing more certain in life than death. We will all die. I will die. You will die. Death is the great enemy of humanity. It robs us of everything good in life. It fills our life with fear, grief, hopelessness, despair. And try as we may to hide it with our makeup or delay it with our medicine. Death is an evil which will eventually have its way. And so deep within every human being is the longing for a better place, where death is no more, where loved ones are no longer torn from us, where death, sickness, evil, and disease are no more. But I wonder if you've ever thought, where can such hope be found? Is it really even possible? Even Christians can fear death. Well, in this passage this evening, we have, I think, one of the most remarkable events ever recorded in human history. The time when Jesus encountered death and defeated it. And my aim this evening is that we will see Jesus for who he is. God himself come to defeat 
death and usher in a whole new world where sickness, death and evil will one day be no more. My hope is that we will see Jesus in all his power and compassion and trust him as our only hope in the face of death. Well, if you're new with us, we've been working through this part of the Bible called Luke's Gospel. It's an account of Jesus' birth, life, teaching, death, and resurrection. And Luke tells us how he writes it. It's based on eyewitness accounts. He talked to the people who were there, and he arranged it all, and he wrote it down. And last week we saw a Roman centurion who came to Jesus. His servant was at the point of death, utterly desperate in faith, he came to Jesus, recognizing his authority. And he said to Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Jesus marveled at his faith. How extraordinary. But then Jesus did the miraculous. Jesus healed the servant from a distance without even meeting him. It was an extraordinary Miracle. But if last week the spotlight was on the centurion's faith, today we zoom in on Jesus. Luke wants us to see Jesus really is utterly worthy of our submission and our trust. He is God himself come to defeat death. Well, if you've closed your Bibles, please open them up again. We're on uh, page 863. Please have a look again at verse 11. We're at point one, the meeting of life and death. We have this remarkable story. Read with me from verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Now, Nain was a small village about six miles from Nazareth. It, it still exists today. If you have a look on the screen, there's a picture of modern-day Nain. I'm told 200 people live there. Uh, I've got another picture in the next slide. That's apparently what it looked like in the 1900s. Maybe something like that at Jesus' time. I put that up to remind us that this is a real event that happened in a real place. You can visit the place where this event happened. Here is Jesus entering this town with a great crowd behind him. They've just seen his teaching, heard his teaching, seen his miracles. But as they approach this small city of Nain, another crowd comes into view. Verse 12, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Uh, you can picture the scene. Two great crowds walking towards each other. The Lord of life with a crowd behind him and this funeral procession of death led by this distraught widow. The tragedy of the situation is very obvious. To have to bury your own son is the worst fear of any parent. To bury your own son, having already buried your husband, well, that is just your worst nightmare. You can imagine the weeping. Imagine the sadness. Without husband or son, the widow is now destitute, 
and alone. She's got no one left to provide for her or protect her. Mingled with her tears are her fears. What will I do now? And the tragedy is reflected by the large crowd that follows her as they march to the cemetery. Now, I suspect we're no stranger to the grief of this woman. Death touches every one of us in one way or another. We've all lost someone, a mother, father, grandmother, grandparent, friend. We're all aware of the grief of death, some of us all too much. Death is a horrible reality. And as much as we try to pretend otherwise, we know that every death is a hopeless tragedy. Uh, my first confrontation was with death was my school friend, Andrew Jefferson. We were best friends, and in Form 3, we went for our school cross-country running race. Uh, we ran uh, about three and a half kilometres. Uh, he was much better than me. Uh, he managed to finish in second place. I was right near the end. But five minutes later, before I'd even crossed the finish line, Andrew was dead with a heart attack. It was a tragedy. Moreover, his mother was a teacher in the school. She was there as it happened. I can still remember her anguished grief robbed of a son so young. The Bible explains what we all feel. Death is not natural. It should not be. God created a good world for humanity to live with him in perfect relationship, but the story of humanity is one of rejection of the life giver and the curse of death. And so faced with this funeral march of death, all eyes are on Jesus to see what he will do. We're at point two. What follows next are the actions of either a cruel madman or God. Look what Jesus says to this woman who's just lost her only son. Verse 13, do not Weep. I mean, how insensitive, how pastorally inappropriate, how, if not perhaps wicked, of Jesus. Do not weep. She's just lost her only son. Look what Jesus does, verse 14. He touches the coffin, an action strictly forbidden by Jewish law because it would make you unclean. Look how he addresses the dead man, verse 15. Young man, arise. I mean, can you imagine the situation? You're at the funeral. The, the car carrying the corpse drives on ahead as a crowd of mourners follow along, led by the family, on their way to the crematorium. It's a big crowd, some are crying, some are holding back the tears. It's a Chinese one, the cymbals are clanging loudly. And then, suddenly, 
A stranger walks over, approaches the family, says, stop crying. He stands in front of the hearse, tells the driver, stop the car, get out the coffin, and to the utter dismay of the crowd, he opens the back of the hearse, he touches the coffin, he says to the corpse, arise. Such actions are so utterly outrageous. They're either the actions of a crazy madman or God. We know the reality of life. Dead people do not rise, do they? If you're unsure of that fact, next time you're down at Giant or Tasco, uh, just try going over to the frozen section. Uh, perhaps make sure no one else is around. Find a chicken and try and say to it, Arise! Get up! I guarantee you, very quickly, you'll be taken away to the mental hospital. I mean, who is Jesus to silence a mourning widow, touch a coffin, and command a corpse to arise? Have you ever seen that at a funeral? He's either a madman or to be worshipped as God. Which is it? Well, the Bible is very clear, isn't it? Jesus was no cruel madman. Firstly, note Jesus' identity, verse 13. He is the Lord. This is the first time in the narrative that Luke calls Jesus Lord. It's been called it a few times by other people, but the first time for Luke. And in the Old Testament, the title Lord was reserved for God and God alone. In Luke's Gospel, half of the occurrences of the word Lord are used of God in the other half of Jesus. When the angels appeared to, Jesus, uh, to the shepherds at Jesus' birth, they said this in chapter 2, verse 11, "...unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord." Luke wants us to be very clear. This Jesus is not a madman. He is God himself. He is the Lord. This man is divine. Secondly, note Jesus' compassion, verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. So Jesus sees this woman distraught in her sorrow and his heart goes out to her. His stomach churns within him. He, he can't just stand by. He has to do something. And sometimes we look on our sufferings, don't we, and we think, God doesn't care. God's not there. He's abandoned me. He's judging me. But look at Jesus, God in the flesh, and see God's attitude to human beings like you and me, suffering under the shadow of death. He cares. He is filled with compassion. God cannot stand idly by as we go one by one to the grave. He must intervene. He must act. And that is, of course, why Jesus came, to rescue us from death. Thirdly, then, note Jesus' power. And verse 14. Then he came up, touched the buyer. That's like a coffin, but it doesn't have a lid. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man 
sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus speaks. The man gets up from the casket. I mean, can you believe it? Just imagine it. You're at the funeral. The person says, get up, and then you hear the rattle. There's a knocking on the coffin. The man sits up, still wrapped in the grave clothes. He's alive. We know he's alive because he starts talking. And how does it happen? Just a word. Last week, the centurion said, just say the word and let my servant be healed. Jesus speaks. Sickness is banished. The dead are raised. And in case you think this is just an isolated incident, well, it's not. Just in chapter 8, we will see Jesus raise Jairus' daughter. Jairus comes to Jesus, imploring him to help his 12-year-old little girl. Before Jesus gets to the house, the girl dies. But Jesus says, do not weep. She's just sleeping. They laugh. But he goes to the child. He says, arise. And the girl got up at once. John chapter 11, Jesus will raise his friend Lazarus. He's been dead four days. He's been buried in the tomb. He's smelling already rotten. Jesus instructs him, roll away the stone from the tomb. Lazarus, come out. And he comes out alive. In the greatest miracle of all, Jesus' own resurrection on the cross. He takes our punishment. He takes our uncleanness. He suffers the death we deserve for our sin so we could be forgiven. And then three days later, the tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. Now, just in case there's any doubt, I want us to be clear that this event really happened. Uh, this is no fairy tale or wishful thinking. Uh, Luke tells us in chapter 1 how he put this document together. He consulted the eyewitnesses who were there. He investigated everything closely. He sorted out the facts and he wrote it down that we might have absolute certainty concerning the things we've been taught. Uh, we know from elsewhere in the Bible that Luke is a doctor. I'm pretty sure he would have known as a doctor that dead people do not rise. And yet it didn't stop him from recording the incident here in his gospel because he knew it was witnessed by a great crowd who were there. Notice he even names the town where it happened. I showed you a picture just now. If you wanted to, you could have gone to the town, talked to the people, checked with the eyewitnesses, and know for yourself it really happened. No, there is no doubt this event happened on the pages of history. You can visit Nain to this day. It was a real place, and this really happened. Well, how does, Jesus, how does the crowd respond to this miracle? wonder how you would respond when you've seen a dead man get up. Well, verse 16. Fear seized them all. They're terrified. And of course they're terrified. I mean, here is one who has complete power over death. If we're terrified of death, what more terrifying than one who has power over death? Here is Jesus come from God as God to overthrow death 
and usher in a new world where sickness and death and disease are no more and fear fills them all. Who is this Jesus? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, with authority even over death. He demands our submission. But notice also verse 16, very interesting. Fear and then praise. Fear seized them all and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. They glorify God. They're filled with joy. This dead man has got up. What a joyful thing. Imagine it. The crowd recognizes here in Jesus, he is someone special, perhaps a prophet. And no surprise, if we just read those Old Testament readings in 1 Kings 17, Elijah does the same thing. He raises the son of the widow of Zarephath. In fact, verse 15, we read Jesus gave the boy to his mother. That's a direct quotation from 1 Kings 17. Elijah does exactly the same thing. And as Elijah does it, the woman says, Now I know your words are true. Jesus raises the dead. His words are true. 2 Kings 4, Elisha raises the son of the woman at Shunem. The name Shunem and Nain, they sound very similar, don't they? No surprise there. Elisha runs with compassion to help the woman. Here is Jesus, full of compassion. Here is Jesus, the ultimate prophet, great and powerful, compassionately raising the dead. But did you notice the difference between Jesus and Elijah and Elisha? Uh, Elijah stretches himself over three times, whatever that means, until the boy is alive. Elisha touches the child with his staff, then he lays over him until he revives. Jesus speaks a word. The dead are raised. Complete authority. Jesus is far more than simply a prophet. Some people think of Jesus just merely as a good teacher, taught us to do good things. But pretty obvious here, Jesus is far superior to any prophet. The crowd recognizes rightly, this is not merely the words of a prophet. This is the finger of God. Verse 16 they say, God has visited his people. God has come to rescue them. Now they recognize only God can give life to the dead. Only God can speak a word and a dead man gets up. Genesis 1 is like that. God spoke a word. Life came into being. The crowds rightly recognize here is God himself intervening into history to save humanity from death. We must not miss the significance of this event. Since Adam and Eve first disobeyed God in the garden, humanity has suffered under the shadow of death. We all die, the Bible says, because we all fail to treat God rightly as God. But God promised a day when he would send a king who would defeat death forever. We read about it in places like Isaiah 25 up on the screen. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord 
has spoken. By, by raising this man from the dead, Jesus is saying, I am the one. I am the king God has promised who will deal with death and give the hope of life in our world. Uh, we'll see this in our passage next week, but a bit of a preview in verse 20. Turn to look at verse 20. John the Baptist will come to Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come? Are you the king? Or do we look for another person? And look at Jesus' reply, verse 22. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, as we look at Jesus, healing sickness, defeating death, we are meant to see who Jesus is. He is the king come to usher in God's perfect kingdom where sin, disease, death, sickness will one day be no more. Jesus is far more than a prophet. He stands at the centre of history, the only hope of humanity. I mean, just consider the religious leaders of every other religion. Muhammad, Gautama Buddha, Joseph Smith, add whoever you like to that list. Where are they all? They're in the grave. Every last one of them. Powerless in the face of death. But not Jesus. Yes, Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for our sin, but three days later, he was raised from the dead to rule. He reigns on high. He will one day return to usher in his perfect kingdom where death, disease, sickness, tears will one day be no more and we can be absolutely sure of it. Because right here in our passage we have a foretaste, a deposit as Jesus raises this boy from the dead. So what is our response then? Well, I want to ask us a question tonight. What is your hope in the face of death? There's a fairly young crowd here tonight. Not everyone's young. I'm going to include myself in the young ones for a moment. But I wonder if you've ever thought, what will happen to you when you die? Cease to exist? Reincarnation? Judgment from God? Heaven? I remember last year going to a Taoist funeral. It's one of the most depressing experiences of my life. The monk went along carrying a, a paper spirit as everyone followed along. There was the crashing symbols, great noise, continued day after day. Paper money, paper houses were burnt. All done in the hope the person would go to a better place. There was no hope really, no certainty. Only fear and sorrow and despair. Wonder what about you? Do you fear death? What is your hope in the face of death? It'll be okay. It'll all work out fine in the end. I'll think about it later. Well, God's word is showing us this evening. We can have real hope in the face of death. 
Because as Christians, we know Jesus has power over death. One day, Jesus will raise with him all who have trusted in him to to come into a new world where sin, disease, death are no more. We can be sure of it because Jesus himself has already been raised. Christian funerals are very different to all others. Christians will still mourn, of course, over the death of a loved one. But never without hope. For we know, for certain, if someone has trusted in Jesus, right now they are with him. And one day they will be raised to life, like Jesus, to everlasting life in his kingdom. Some of you will know, last year, one of our pastors in this church, Dhanaraj Samuel, passed away. He had a rocky life, but God opened his eyes to see Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. He had a favourite Bible verse, Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, before his death, he'd tell those who visited him, he wasn't afraid of death, The Lord Jesus had power over death. He'd be with Jesus. His hope was in Jesus and he died with no fear, only joy. So Luke is forcing every one of us this evening to think about this question. Will we be like the centurion? Recognize our utter helplessness in the face of death. Recognize Jesus' supreme authority and so come to him, trusting in him to deliver us from death. Will we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and hope in the face of death or dismiss him as a crazy man and the Bible as a lie? We've seen the Bible is no lie. It's grounded in historical fact. Jesus was no madman. His words were driven by compassion. His compassion was backed by action. His actions were seen by a great crowd of witnesses. There's only one conclusion left to make about Jesus. He is God. There's only one right response to be made to Jesus, to fear him, submit to him, trust him, glorify him. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God himself come to deal with death and bring us into a new world where death, sickness, disease are no more. What glorious news that is. For us as Christians, well may we be able to rejoice as we see the Lord Jesus. We do not need to fear death. We look forward to a wonderful new future. And just as verse 17, the report about Jesus went out everywhere. Is this not the glorious good news our dying world so desperately needs to hear? Jesus has power over death. He is risen. Trust in him. You need not fear death. You'll be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
reminding us this evening of this sobering topic, the reality of death. And yet we thank you for the glorious good news that we read in these verses, that Jesus has power over death, he has conquered it, and that for all who trust in him, there is no need to fear the grave. For all who trust in him, look forward with great hope and joy to one day being in your eternal kingdom where death, sickness, disease and all evil will one day be no more. Father, thank you that Jesus is risen. We pray that you'd help us to proclaim this glorious news, to fear him, love him, serve him and to praise him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.